Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how Jesus was worshipped by some, rejected by others, and ultimately crucified by a mob. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, it's good to be with you, church. Uh, I put this graphic up here because it felt very tropical. It doesn't feel very tropical in North Dakota right now, and evidently we're going to get a little more flash of winter because we're just lucky like that. Um, but it's Easter. Next Sunday, you guys realize that? It's Easter, and I don't know what we're going to do for Easter egg hunts, like hide them in the snowbanks or something, I guess. But we're glad that you're with us today, and uh, we're going to be looking at a text here in just a moment that talks about poems and talks about what we just sang about, Hosanna in the highest. But I want to talk about crowds. Crowds are kind of an interesting thing, aren't they? Like, I think for the most part, we like to be in a crowd. Crowds are fun. Sometimes, they're, they, you know, there's lots of energy, there's lots of people. Think of an NFL football game. You guys been to a, like a pro football game? Maybe some of you have. There's a lot of excitement. You've got the teams and they're all decked out in their jerseys with the big foam fingers and everyone's cheering for their team. And there's energy in the stadium. I mean, if you've been in a, in a pro football stadium, you know what I'm talking about. There's just a, a vibe. There's a buzz. It's the 12th man. Yeah, kind of an advantage to the team, the home team. But sometimes things go wrong in the crowd and people have a little too much to drink and then pretty soon there's fighting and we've seen those kind of videos on social media, right? So uh, for the most part, we like sporting events and crowds. It's good. What about parades? Do you guys like parades? Some of us really like parades. Some of you are like, ah, I don't know. But what's not to love about a parade? I mean, you're sitting along, I'm thinking a band day parade here in Bismarck. You're sitting along the street and there's all the people coming by and they're, they're throwing Tootsie Rolls, right? Like unlimited supply of Tootsie Rolls. Are those things really chocolate or is that like some kind of a waxy chocolate substitute? I, I don't know. I've often wondered that. Like I'm eating them like I kind of like this, but it's probably not good for me. So we get the Tootsie Rolls, the parades, right? Crowds of people. We've also seen crowds of people kind of go negative and can be a bad thing. Like um, you get an angry mob, right? People start marching for political reasons or they're angry about something. And we've seen in the last couple of years what happens when a crowd gets together and they're politically motivated or we've seen, you know, damage to property, people get hurt, right? And, and it's not always good. Politics and COVID kind of brought out the worst of people. We've seen that in the news. And so crowds can be an interesting thing. The psychologists have studied this that there's a, a crowd mentality, a herd mentality or a hive mentality where people kind of lose their sense of judgment and they just go along with what everybody's doing. Hey, I'm just, I'm in this group and we're all going in this direction and so I'm in with these people. And so the text that we're going to look at today has some crowds in it. We're going to see a couple of contrasting things going on in our, in our text. So today is what the church traditionally calls Palm Sunday the Sunday before Easter, and we remember the, the, the journey of Jesus into the capital city, into Jerusalem. And so this is what we, we talk about, Hosanna, and there's palm branches, and we're going to read about that. 
But just to kind of set this up a little bit, if you haven't grown up around the church or you don't really know what Palm Sunday is, again, it's the historical journey of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so Jesus has been hanging out with his disciples and and he tells two of them, he says, why don't you go into this nearby village and find for me a donkey? I need a donkey to ride on, to get into Jerusalem. And if they ask what it's for, just tell them it's for me. It's all good. And so these disciples go into this village. Sure enough, there's a donkey tied there. And not just a donkey, but a little donkey. It's like a baby, like a a, a colt. And so the the owner asked, they're like, why are you taking my donkey? And they said, it's okay. Jesus said it was good. Oh, if it's for Jesus, then it must be be okay. So the the disciples are, are taking this donkey. I think of a little bit like the movies, like, hey, I'm commandeering this vehicle. The police officers do that. We're commandeering this donkey for Jesus. And so they take this this young donkey and bring it to Jesus. And Jesus then gets on the back of this donkey and rides into Jerusalem, the capital city. So that's the setup of of where we're going. If you have a Bible, we're going to read this in Luke chapter 19. So Luke 19, starting in verse 37, we're going to go through 44. So if you have a Bible app or all of you want to follow along on the screen, we're going to read this together. So verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, and your chi- you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So this passage of Scripture illustrates for us the triumphal entry. Jesus, the celebrated King, coming into Jerusalem, making His way into town. See, Jesus was the king of his kingdom. He'd been teaching about it, but it wasn't a physical kingdom. He wasn't coming into town to set up uh, a government and and armies and, and to conquer. His kingdom was a different kind of kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. Verse 38 tells us he's the king of it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory the highest. And when I read that verse this week, I couldn't help but it felt familiar to me. And the reason is because when Jesus was born, if you, if you go back to Luke chapter 2 and Jesus' birth, there's a parallel verse there where the angels proclaimed that Jesus was on the scene, that he was coming on, on the scene. So Luke 2.14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. So peace, glory, They're both verses of proclamation. And so these verses kind of mirror each other. Jesus 
came onto the scene very humbly, for the most part, like a lot of people didn't really know Jesus was there, right? Like there were some shepherds and there were some wise men and, you know, Jesus' birth was pretty humble, we would say, relatively speaking, right? And his entrance into Jerusalem is also humble. He's riding on a, a little donkey, like a short one, you know? Not a lot of horsepower there, but lots of torque, right? You car guys know what I'm talking about. Short legs. So Jesus comes in the name of the Lord, and, and, he, and he says, it might be seemed a little bit understated, but that's who I am. That's the way I teach. Because Jesus' kingdom was meant to be different. Jesus was a different kind of king. He taught in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You didn't hear kings talk like that. That was not king language for the most part, right? Kings want to conquer. Kings want to dominate. They want to overthrow other governments. They want to go to battle. Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek, right? And so it was a different kind of message because Jesus was a different kind of king with a different kind of kingdom. So his kingdom was a different kind of kingdom and his entry in Jerusalem reflected not only his teachings, but who he was. It'd be like us, you know, we see um, people of notoriety, presidents, kings, whatever, royalty from other countries, we know what they look like when they travel. Like there's a big procession. We know the motorcade, right? We know this scene. There's all the, you know, the Cadillacs and the you know, the bulletproof glass and the little flags on the hoods and the, you know, the secret service and they're talking into their thing and, you know, there's news reporters and helicopters and police escorts. We know what this looks like. This is how leaders typically travel with a lot of ceremony, a lot of protection. And in Jesus' day, you know, we would have expected to see horses and chariots and trumpets and a processional. Instead, we see Jesus riding into town on a short-legged donkey. And so I was thinking about this. Um, we don't ride donkeys. Anybody here riding a donkey regularly? I mean, maybe, maybe some of you have donkeys. I don't know. It's not real common for us. So to contextualize this, I imagine Jesus on like a little scooter, right? This is like Jesus on a scooter. And, and I Googled it, and there you go. What, what can you not find on the Internet, right? So Jesus, very contrast. You see Jesus on a scooter, you see the motorcade. Very different types of transportation that reflect different types of leaders. And the donkey actually is significant. I know I, you know, make light of that, but it actually fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on the donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus rides in to fulfill a prophecy, to illustrate what he's like, and he's got a crowd of people around him, and they're cheering for him, because Jesus is their guy. They, they like him, right? He's been out teaching, he's been feeding the 5,000, he's been doing all these miracles, and people are like, yeah, he's our guy. We like him. He's kind of a, you know, stick it to the man. Like, he, we can get on board with Jesus. And so they're crowding around him, and they're shouting, Hosanna, waving their palm branches, 
laying them on the road, laying their coats down on the road to pay homage to Jesus. For many in the crowd, they thought Jesus is riding into Jerusalem to overthrow Rome. Jesus is going to come in and clean house. And so they had expectations that maybe weren't met. They had a lot of hope for now. And Hosanna actually means, it's, it's a cry that means save us. And so they were crying, save us, save us, Jesus. Come into town, take care of these Romans. And so they were on board with Jesus, worshiping him. The thing is, it's easy to worship Jesus when things are looking up. And I would call this circumstantial worship. When, when we are on board with Jesus and it seems like life's going good, like, oh, everything's kind of trending the way I want it to, it's easy to worship Jesus, isn't it? And so the, the Hosanna crowd was on board because they're like, Jesus is coming into town. He's going to do what we want him to do. And so we love him. Yay, Jesus. Team Jesus. But what happens when crisis hits? When things don't go our way, when family's not doing so good, or health isn't good, finances a struggle, right? It's a, it's a little different story. And I know I've said it before, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but for most of us, we're either in a hard time right now, we're just coming out of a hard time, or we're about to go into a hard time. Because life is hard. But our worship isn't only based on our circumstances, so the people worshiping Jesus in the crowd, they didn't realize all that was about to happen. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that as he rode into town, he wasn't riding back out. This was a one-way trip for him. But the crowd was there, and they had a moment, right? They're shouting, Hosanna. So let's pause here for discussion. I want to ask two questions real quick. I just invite you to speak loudly, share your answer with the group. The first question is this, why is it easy to worship Jesus when our lives are going good? Why is it easy to worship Jesus when life is good? Can you say that again? We may not have unmet needs. We may not have an unmet need at that time. So all, our, all of our needs are met. Life is good. Why would unmet needs make it hard to worship? Someone or something has to fix it. So maybe we have an expectation. Doesn't get met. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Anybody else? Why is, why is it easy to worship Jesus when our lives are going good? We're not suffering. Yeah, it's easy to be in the Hosanna crowd. Yay, Jesus. Right? <laughs> then life gets hard. So the second question, when life doesn't go our way or trials come, how does our response reveal what is really going on in our heart? When life isn't going so good, how does our response reveal what's going on in our heart? I think it really reveals like who we really are. You know, when those tough times come, like what comes out? You know, I was telling my kids garbage in, garbage out. It's kind of the same thing, like, what have I put inside me that's going to come out, not only when times are good, but when they're bad? And do I really believe what I'm reading? Do I really believe what we're singing? Do I really believe what I know is truth? And that's what comes out when you go through something, you know? Yeah, it's, so she's saying, it's kind of that idea that when we're squeezed, 
what's going to come out. It really reveals what's in our heart when, when hard times come. And hopefully that, uh, you know, we, we, we respond in worship because that's, that's really, you know, what we're created to do and what's hopefully what's in our heart, right? So um, when things don't go our way, because life doesn't always go our way, does it? Anybody here? Raise your hand if life is always going your way. I'm not seeing many hands because we know that it's true. It doesn't always go our way. So most of the people in the crowd that were surrounding Jesus worshipped him, right? He was the celebrated king. But I don't know if you noticed in our text, there were also some people in the crowd who didn't worship Jesus. There were some Pharisees in the crowd. And so for some of the people, he was a rejected king. They rejected him as a king. And they tried to stop what was happening. Isn't that interesting? That you had these religious leaders, supposedly the ones who were, you know, should have been happy with Jesus, and yet they're saying, disciples, time out, like you need to cool it. Too much worship happening here. The religious people are saying that. That'd be like a revival breaking out in our city and the pastors showing up and going, mm, you guys need to stop that. It's absurd. But those were the people that were dogging Jesus. They were in the crowd. The Pharisees were there. And they're saying, Jesus, you need to tell your disciples to stop it. Jesus says, I'm not telling them to stop it. They're doing what they've been created to do, to worship me. So Jesus is now on the scene, and he's okay with people openly worshiping and declaring who he is. See, throughout his ministry, Jesus often did a miracle or he'd heal somebody And he'd say, now, just kind of keep this on the down low. You don't need to go spreading this around because my time has not yet come. Now his time had come. He's he's saying, it's okay. It's out in the open. And and if they don't worship me because they've been created to, the rocks are going to cry out because all of creation proclaims who I am. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. And I think those Pharisees, they kind of just hung around to, to, to just, you know, try to discourage Jesus, to try to stop the momentum of the kingdom? Because they were always there, weren't they? Like if you read through the New Testament or the Gospels, they're always there and they're always commenting and you know, trying to nitpick like, hey Jesus, you healed a guy, but you did it on the wrong day of the week. How dare you? Like, are you kidding me? This guy's walking now and the Pharisees are trying to get him on a technicality like you did it on the wrong day of the week? That's the kind of things that they were doing, and they were rejecting Jesus. So it was good that the crowd was worshiping Jesus because only he was deserving of their worship. Jesus came to the earth, uh, Jesus came to fill the earth with God's glory and to show what God was like. So that's kind of a big statement, right? But God has always been about bringing himself glory. That's what he he says I'm going to fill the whole earth with, with my glory. And it's not that he needs to, but he wants to reveal what he is like. So that word glory, if you think about, um, it's, it's really like experiencing the essence of something. Think about a fire. You can look at a fire, you can see the flames, you can see the, the colors and the smoke, and it's moving and it's beautiful. But when you get close to a fire, what happens? Oh boy, you feel that heat, right? And that's what gl- God's glory is like. It's a revelation of who he is and what he's like. And Jesus said, I came to fill the earth with God's glory, to reveal what God is like to all these people. And when those disciples are worshiping me, they're doing what they've been created to do. 
And my creation, by the way, it also reflects my glory. It's pretty cool. So God created humans to experience His glory and worship as a result. Have you ever noticed that some of the best moments in life are not moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness? Anybody ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked at it? Or stood and looked at a mountain range? Or looked up at the sky on a summer night or seen the northern lights? Like, you don't stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and go, boy, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, I hope you don't. Most of us wouldn't do that, right? You stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you look at it and you go, God, you made that. You spoke that into being. This declares your greatness. This declares how awesome you are, how powerful you are. And those are some of the best moments in life, aren't they? When we can just forget ourselves and we realize how awesome God is and we're just moved in our heart to say, wow, we have no idea how amazing God is. So those are some of the best moments that we can experience in our life. The Pharisees didn't see life that way. Because we know that not everyone worships God. Not everyone accepts Him. Some would rather hold on to their religious traditions than than truly follow Jesus. See, the Pharisees loved themselves and they saw Jesus as a threat to their authority, their position. And so they were in the crowd. People were declaring, Hosanna. The Pharisees were there and they're rejecting. They're saying, "Uh uh-uh, nope, this needs to stop. We need to shut this down. They rejected Him. See, religion often gives people a sense of self-righteousness and it puts them in a a place of judgment. And that's what the Pharisees were. They were self-righteous. They said, Jesus, you can't do this. You can't have people worshiping you. You can't be healing on the Sabbath. Where does that come from? It comes from pride. It comes from a a heart that says, I want to be in control. I want to say what's right and wrong, right? Right? Pharisees telling Jesus, God himself, what's right and wrong? Where does that come from? Think all the way back to the beginning, Garden of Eden. There was a couple people there who wanted to manage the knowledge of good and evil. We're going to eat from this fruit on the tree because, God, we think we know better than you. We think we're going to manage what's right and wrong for ourselves. And we see how that turned out. Here we are today, right, still reaping the benefits of that decision. The Pharisees, Jesus was hard on them, and he was hard on them for good reason, because they loved being in charge. They loved position and authority, and they just rejected his teaching of grace and love. And Jesus said to him, you guys, you religious people, you have it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of ick. You clean the outside of the dish, but you don't wash the inside. Jesus said, I can't do anything with you. He says, I want to heal your heart. I want to forgive your sins. I want to cleanse the inside of you. It's not just about the outward appearance, but for religious people it is. It's the list of do's and don'ts. We talked a lot about this in our series in Galatians. Legalism. Religious people reject Jesus. They have a me-centered way of living. So Jesus was worshipped, right? He was the celebrated king. He was also a rejected king. Because not everybody who is close to Jesus receives him. It's possible to be close to Jesus and still miss him. 
And that was the case with the Pharisees. They were very close to Jesus. They were in proximity, in the crowd, watching the miracles. But no thanks, Jesus. Reject you. And that's the thing with today. Not everybody in the church knows Jesus. Not everyone who's close to Christians has a relationship with Jesus. It's not about proximity. It's about a relationship with Him. A personal relationship. We get a choice. Do we worship Him? Do we accept Him? Or do we reject Him? That's a choice that each of us makes. And Jesus says, hey, come to me. I'll heal heal your heart. I'll bind up your wounds. But you got to die to yourself. And for Pharisees and religious people, it's like, I can't do that. I'd rather have my religion. Two more questions for discussion. First one is this. How have you seen religion keep people away from Jesus? Anybody seen that in their life? That religion gets in the way of people knowing Jesus? Somebody share if you've got an example of that or a story. Anybody ever heard the phrase, I don't have a problem with Jesus, I have a problem with the church? I've heard that a lot. I think sometimes our religion gets in the way of people understanding who Jesus is. Have you guys, anybody have an example of that they want to share? A lot of people say, I'm not religious. I say religion killed, but Jesus saves. And they see religion as a list of something I've got to do. Mm -hmm. And a way to live rather than have a passionate intimacy with Jesus. Yeah. So there's a difference between a list of rules which is what religion is, or a relationship with Jesus. And that phrase that you said, I think we should get some t-shirts made with that. Religion kills, Jesus saves. Like, that's brilliant. I love it. It says it all. Second question, what other reasons might someone have for rejecting Jesus? Why might people in the crowd reject Jesus? What can you think of? They reject him because they don't believe of his claims of being God, right? He claimed to be God. So somebody might not believe that. Maybe they never met him. Yeah. What else? Yeah, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Some people have a hard time with that. They say, well, there's lots of religions out there. Why can't we all just get along? We can, we can love each other, but Jesus is the one who said there's only one way, right? Some people don't want to accept that. The Pharisees rejected him. There are many others who reject him. So Jesus came to Jerusalem with a mission in mind. Again, he knew he was riding into town, he wasn't riding back out. And so he came knowing that I'm going to go into this city, I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to be beaten up. I'm going to be whipped. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. And it's going to be humiliating. It's going to hurt. And he still rode into town. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have mixed emotions. I mean, good grief. But this is what he said. So he rides into town. He's being celebrated. Hosanna. But then this is what it says in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus knew 
what was going to happen in the future. He looked at Jerusalem. So he's got this crowd of people around him. He's riding on the donkey. And he looks off in the distance and he sees the city, the skyline. He says, oh, Jerusalem, my heart breaks for you. Because most of you guys don't get it. You don't understand why I'm here, what I'm about to do. And I came so that I could heal your hearts. I came to be the king that you always wanted. Jesus looked ahead. He knew that, and history tells us that in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. There was a war, and things were destroyed. And Jesus is like, ah, you you people of Israel, you don't know what's coming. It's heartache. And I'm the king that you always wanted, the king that you always needed, and I'm here. And there's a group of people worshiping, but by and large, Israel missed it. And so he wept for the city. His heart was broken for the people who didn't recognize him and didn't understand what he was doing. So now we look at another crowd in our story. Jesus was worshipped by the Hosanna crowd. And just a few short days later, he finds himself in front of an angry mob. This is a very different vibe in this crowd. So uh, I'm going to read from a second passage in Luke 23. Verse 18 through 25, if you want to flip there, you can. Otherwise, we have it up here on the screen. And so Jesus had been falsely accused and handed over. And this is, this is where we pick it up. He's standing in front of them on trial. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. So Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. So Jesus is standing before Pilate to decide what's going to happen. He's on trial, essentially, falsely convicted by the religious group that want to get rid of Jesus, can't stand him. And Pilate's like, well, what do you want me to do? Guy looks like he's innocent. I don't see that he's really done anything wrong. And they're like, crucify him, crucify him. Well, I could just release him. No, give us Barabbas. Who's Barabbas? Barabbas is a murderer. He's convicted. They know he's killed people, started up uprisings in the, in the city. But the crowd, they're done with Jesus. They don't care. Give us anybody but Jesus. So let Barabbas walk free and let's kill Jesus. Let's murder him. That was the crowd mentality that day. And you can tell Pilate's a little squeamish about it. He's like, I don't think he's guilty, but I'm going to cave. Great leadership, Pilate, right? Just follow the mob. The crazy part of all this, Jesus being sentenced to death. Jesus rode into town knowing this is what was going to happen. His father in heaven knew this was going to happen. And they went through with it. Jesus still rode into town on that donkey because Jesus knew there was no way to save the people he loved 
without enduring the cross. Jesus says, I got to lay out my my life for you because I love you this much and I have to go to the cross so that you can be set free from your sin because there's a holy God and a sinful humanity and there's no way to have a relationship without somebody taking care of that problem of sin. And Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll lay down my life for my friends so that they can have eternal life. And I don't think just because Jesus went through with it meant that he liked it, that it was easy for him. There's another scene in the Bible where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane before all this happened, and he's praying. And he's praying, and he's, he's in the garden at night, and his disciples are you know, over there, and they're falling asleep. And come on, guys, like, stay awake. But they're falling asleep. And Jesus prays, and he agonizes. And the Bible says that he agonizes so much that he's sweating drops of blood. I've never sweat drops of blood. It must have been pretty intense prayer. Jesus says to his father, this is my, my interpretation of how I think that conversation went. Dad, I'm really struggling right now. I know we had this plan, this plan that we talked about a long time ago, but dad, now that I'm here, I'm having second thoughts. I, I don't know if I can go through with this, dad. This is going to hurt a lot, and I'm going to be stripped My clothes are going to be taken off, and I'm going to be whipped, and I'm going to be broken, and I'm going to be nailed to a cross. Dad, isn't there another way? Come on. There's got to be another way. There's got to be a a plan B. Can we just change the plan? Can we just flip the script here? Dad? Dad? Okay, I'll take that as a no. No, son. We have to follow through with this. This is the only way. Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours be done. And in that moment, Jesus resolved to go to the cross. He resolved to say, okay, it's going to cost me everything, but I'll do it because I love them that much. See, sometimes it's hard to understand God's purposes. Jesus struggled with this. The crowd struggled with this. Jesus, I thought you were coming to save us. Set up your government. Overthrow Rome. Sometimes we don't understand what God's up to. And we don't realize the big picture of what he's doing in our lives. I think the disciples really struggled when they saw their friend murdered. Our teacher, our leader, even though he told them what was going to happen, they still didn't understand. But often the pain and struggles that we face in life have more value than we can possibly know. But that's when our faith is truly tested. So what happens when our expectations of Jesus are not met? Jesus, I thought following you meant my life was going to be better. Do we leave the Hosanna crowd and we go over to the crucify him crowd? Done with Jesus. Man, you disappointed me, Jesus. I thought you were supposed to be better than this. Do we expect God to meet our agenda for our lives? Or are we truly okay accepting his purpose and his will, even if it means disappointment, even if it means suffering? Jesus did. He went to the cross. He experienced his ups and his downs. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He heard that. And a few short days later, he heard, crucify him, crucify him. Get rid of Jesus. He experienced all of it. And Jesus wept over the city because he loved it. And he weeps over us. He said, I want you to know the love of my Father. I want you to have a relationship with me. Don't miss it. The thing about these crowds is we can kind of bounce around from crowd to crowd, can't we? Some days life is good. Yay, Jesus. Worship. And then the times we shift into a, oh, we're going to be the religious elite. Oh, what's she doing over there? What's he doing? Right? We can turn judgmental and right self-righteous pretty quick. We can find ourselves in that crowd. Some of us just get downright angry with God. Well, God, life wasn't supposed to turn out this way. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I really want you in my life right now, God. So we can kind of bounce from those different crowds, can't we? Depending on how life is going for us. But the good news of the gospel is Jesus said, I came to heal your heart, to forgive your sins, to give you a new life. And the invitation is for all. And so wherever you find yourself today, if you're going through a hard time and maybe you're struggling to understand God's purpose for your life, the invitation is to come. If you're angry with God, maybe some stuff has happened in your life and, and you just can't let go of that anger, you just, just let go of it. I went to the cross for you. And you can trust me. Even though life doesn't make sense, you can trust me. I'm good for it. Maybe some of us are here today and we've just rejected the claims of Jesus. We're like, I, I just can't get on board with what Jesus said. I don't, I don't know if I believe him. Jesus often encountered people who were skeptical, people who didn't affirm his teachings, and, and he sat down, he ate with them, he spent time with them, he engaged with them. Jesus, come, let's talk about it. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'd love to have a conversation with you. We can talk about that after the service. The invitation into the kingdom is here. It's now. See, we celebrate, we think, we think ahead, the return of the king, Jesus coming back, a place where there's no more sickness or pain or death, a new Jerusalem, right? But the kingdom is here now, today. We get to live in the kingdom today. The invitation is to walk with Jesus now and then to, into eternity. And that's all available to us because Jesus came to town. Because of the coming of the king, this is possible. This is the good news. It's grace. It's a free invitation for all of us. And I'm so thankful for it, aren't you? Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for loving the world so incredibly much that you sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And we think about Christmas. We think about his birth and how humble that was. And then we think about his ride into Jerusalem 30 years later. Still humble. Still the king that everybody wants. The king that's not corrupted by power. The king that's not corrupted by, by anything. The, the perfect king. And he has come for us. Lord, thank you for the invitation to be in your kingdom. To be adopted into your family, your sons and daughters. 
So we say, Hosanna, save us. We love you, Lord. We want to be living for you on this earth. And so God, refocus our hearts and our minds this morning on you to not just see what's in front of us, not to just focus on the problems in our lives or what's wrong with this world, but through the eyes of hope and faith to live this life well, walking with you, Lord, and knowing that you have a great purpose in mind for everything that we deal with. You redeem all of our situations for your good. That gives us tremendous hope. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. This morning, we're going to share communion. So as the band plays this song, we just invite you to take the elements. Did everybody get one? Raise your hand if you need one. We've got a basket coming around. Pass the basket. This is the time for you to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and he was brutally beaten. And he endured the shame and the the insults of the crowd so that we could have eternal life. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was left alone to die so that we would never be alone and that we would never have to die. We have eternal life through Jesus. Take some moments to reflect on that. Spend some time in prayer. The band's going to play this song, and then we'll, uh, we'll close after that. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Jesus' kingdom was a different kind of kingdom, and his entry into Jerusalem reflected not only his teaching, but who he was. It's easy to worship Jesus when things are looking up. We call that circumstantial worship. Jesus came to fill the earth with God's glory, to show the world what God is like. God created humans to experience His glory and worship as a result. The Pharisees loved their position more than God and saw Jesus as a threat to their power and authority. Not everyone close to Jesus receives him. It's possible to be close to Jesus and still miss him. Jesus says, you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. Jesus knew that there was no way to save the people he loved without enduring the cross. Sometimes it's hard to understand God's purposes. Discussion questions. Why is it easy to worship Jesus when our lives are going good? When life doesn't go our way or trials come, how does our response reveal what's going on in our heart? How have you seen religion keep people away from Jesus? What other reasons might someone have for rejecting Jesus. Thanks again for listening, Missio family. We'll see you next week in preparation for Easter.